With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I always have this subtle fear that the mic is going to be on when we're singing. And I'm going to inadvertently lead the church in a time of worship. I'll be like, who's that cat singing? There's some random horrible screeching going on. Especially now the weather is really affecting my voice as the weather is changing. And hopefully it just... The only thing I like about that is that my voice actually gets deeper. That's the only thing I like about like the weather change or even getting sick. That's the only aspect of which that's actually a positive connotation. Let's pray before we get into the message this morning. Jesus, we're... We're pleased to be here with one another, with you. We have a promise in your word that we're two or three or more gathered in your name. You have promised that you would be here also. And we lay claim to that promise. We know that you are here with us. And what a privilege and what an honor it is that as we meet together, we have the Lord of the universe here in our midst. As we sing praises unto you, as we read your precious word, as we fellowship with one another. And Jesus, we pray that you lift up our hearts unto heaven. That where our hearts may be heavy, filled with anxiety, filled with stress. (laughs) The holidays can bring on a lot of stress. And Jesus, we pray that you just lift that up. We pray that as we study your word this morning that you would illuminate our eyes to see wondrous things from it, that it encourages us, that it not just fill our, our heads with more information, but that it fills our hearts with gratitude and with love toward you. Where in our hearts where the love toward you and toward others may be growing cold, Jesus, we pray that you stoke those flames. Help us as we grow in our contentment of you and what you have blessed us with. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I saw it fitting to pick a topic that goes hand in hand with being thankful, right? This is the last Sunday before we enter into the blessed holiday of Thanksgiving, which as I mentioned in prayer, that sometimes the holidays, you can get so caught up in the stress and the anxiety of preparing. Maybe if you're having people come over to your house or you're going over to someone's house, we're having people go over to our house this year, and so it's a little bit different for us this year. But sometimes you can get caught up so much in that, you kind of lose sight of the thankfulness of it. Or maybe once you come to the season and everybody leaves, you're just kind of thankful that it's... <laughs> That is done. Right? Like, oh, good. We survived. But then comes Christmas, you know. Sometimes Thanksgiving feels like Christmas part one, and then you finally enter into Christmas part two. But there's an aspect where one thing that goes so tightly 
in connection with thanksgiving is in contentment. Because it's hard to be thankful if our hearts really isn't content with where we're at and what's going on. Contentment is something that's really hard to do in today's society. I mean, really, in our culture, it's, it's hard to be content because it's, it's almost to the point where we're getting hardwired not to be content, right? Con- contentment is that we are content with what's happening in our lives. We're content with what we have, not that, you know, that internal desire of always wanting more and always seeing the grass is always greener on the other side. And then when we get on the other side of that, we realize, oh, you know, the grass looked pretty good on that other side. Or we look on the other fence and think, man, the grass looks much better on that side. The grass doesn't look so green over on this side anymore now that we're on this land. But we're bombarded today with all kinds of advertisements, with all kinds of psychological mentality of you won't truly be satisfied until you buy our product or until you get in this stage of your life. As a little kid, you're always wanting to get to that next birthday. And once you're at that next birthday, you think, man, only so many hundred days until the next birthday. And then you get to the next birthday and you're like, well, here we go again. And then about the time once you reach, I, I found once you reach about 25, you stop counting birthdays after that. It's kind of like, oh, well, you know. At that age, you know, now that I'm 29, I'm like, one more year till 30. And then after that, you're kind of just like, nah, that's all right. We could stop right there. But we're constantly surrounded. And it may not even necessarily be advertisers. It may be just people that you're around. It is easier to be in a complaining situation than it is to be in a thankful situation. It's much easier to join a group of people that are critical and complaining. And it's much harder to be in a group to break it with thanksgiving. You ever try and break a group of people that are just all about complaining and criticism and you try to break that with thanksgiving and contentment? It's hard to break, isn't it? Because being critical is always easier sometimes than being thankful. Sometimes it's hard to be thankful. But even all the way back to Adam and Eve, when they had a garden full of trees... I imagine that God had plenty of food for them. It wasn't just this boring tree filled with gray fruit. And then there's this wonderful, luscious tree that you can't eat of. I imagine they had plenty to choose from. But almost like in a childlike way, what is the tree that they wanted most? It was the tree that they were told they really couldn't have. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they wanted that one instead. And in fact, it wasn't really until the serpent had planted discontentment in their hearts when they decided that they wanted that fruit. Because they seemed fine up until that point. They seemed fine with eating all the other fruit from all the other trees. But it wasn't until that part at which the serpent said, you know, God knows what's going to happen and he really doesn't want your best when you eat from that fruit. Because they almost kind of had this, you know how we say that we have that saying that uh, ignorance is bliss. Well, in that aspect, there was a blissful ignorance of sin because they've never experienced it. It was all theoretical up until that point. And as soon as they ate of it, they experienced sin 
and death and disease and heartache and pain and struggle, then they experienced it. Up until that point, it was purely theoretical. They did not know what that was really like. Can you imagine that? A type of lifestyle where you really don't know what it's like to experience disappointment. To experience discontentment. But we have so much to be thankful for in this life. Even at times when it may be hard and difficult. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Bible, sometimes when I read the, especially the Old Testament and the children of Israel, you get kind of frustrated because they have very complaining spirits. Right? They're very complaining, almost kind of whiny at times. They go through something, and then God delivers them from it, and then they go back to this pit of just complaining and whining all over again. And you're like, well, God's literally departed an entire sea for you to cross, and now they're worried about getting food. Well, the children of Israel complain quite a bit, but don't we do the same in our own situation at times? And the people of Israel... As they were in the desert. Now, I make the distinction of traveling and wandering. You know, we say a lot of times that they were wandering in the desert. Well, that's true up to a point. Up till about Numbers chapter 14, they were traveling. Because traveling denotes that you're going somewhere. You have a destination to go to. Their destination was the promised land. After coming from being slaves in Egypt, they were told that they were going to have a promised land where they would be free. And they would no longer have to wander the desert. I mean, that's a pretty bad place to wander. But they were actually traveling because they had a destination. And something significant happened in Numbers because the people, in the midst of their complaining, they go out to spy the land. God told them that they're going to have this land. He actually told them, he said, I'm going to send you out to this land to spy it out the land that I am giving you. So they already had the promise that they were getting the land. They already knew that it was theirs. So if someone came up to you and said, I want you to search out this mansion that I have for you. Go and look at it. And you already know that the land is yours, but you go out and look and you come back and you're like, ah, I don't really know if I can keep up that. I don't really know if this land's actually mine and it's just all complaining and it's all doubt. Probably the person that told you that you were going to have that house would probably feel a little bummed out in their hearts, right? Because they told you, they gave you their word. And it hurts not to have your word believed. And so God told the people of Israel that they were to spy out this land. They already had it and they came back. And what was the report? Mostly it was negative, right? It wasn't positive. It wasn't like, yeah, this is the land that the Lord has given us. We're going to take it. We're going to be free. We're going to have this great land. It was, oh, the people are too big. We're like grasshoppers to them. They're fortified. They have all the best weaponry. There's no way we can take this land. And God got tired of their complaining, didn't he? So much so where he said, very few people of that generation would enter into the promised land. Very few people did of that previous generation. It took a new generation to rise up. Up until the point, up until that point, they were traveling, but after that, they became wanderers. Wandering is aimless. Wandering is you don't have a destination at the end. 
And that's what the children of Israel were after God had told them they would not enter the land. They were just wanderers. Now, get this to Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 and 6. It says, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. So God had delivered them. They've seen great miracles up to this point. But now their stomachs are starting to grumble. That's when attitudes can happen, right? It's sometimes when people get hungry. That's when sometimes people can get feisty. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. So God had been feeding them manna that came from heaven. So you actually have something falling from heaven. And they eventually became dissatisfied with that. We're like, ah, we want something else on the menu, God. And something amazing happens. So they're slaves in Egypt. Terrible slavery. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. That must have been pretty good leeks. I've never had my mouth water for leeks, but man, they were really desiring those leeks. But now our strength is dried up. And there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. The most amazing thing of that statement that they made is they said that we remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. Did it have a cost? (laughs) It had a huge cost, right? Chains on their arms and their legs, shackles. It had a huge cost. They were slaves. But they couldn't see it because they wanted to go back to the grass that was greener. Now, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus has this interaction with a man. Who, after Jesus just got done teaching some pretty heavy spiritual stuff, he's talking about when people come before the Father, and he says, If you acknowledge me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge you. But if you deny me before men, the Son of Man will deny you before the Father. That's some pretty heavy stuff. And then this random guy just interjects into this conversation. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13, some random guy in the midst of this conversation that's going on, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this guy is just like, Jesus um, totally ignores everything that Jesus has just said. And he says, Jesus, tell my brother he's being mean and he needs to give me my stuff. And Jesus turns the situation upside down on the guy. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? So he goes from talking to the man and then he goes to talking to the crowd And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. To covet means to want something that we don't have. Even to the degree of our hearts is constantly wanting that that we don't have. It's different than just simply desire. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now this guy's probably a little offended (laughs) considering the fact that this guy thought he was completely in the right. And so, what? You go up to the best leader you can think of. 
So this guy goes to this meeting, and probably you ever been in a situation where people are talking and talking, and maybe even a one-on-one conversation, or one person just mainly doing all the talking, and you're just waiting to find a time to say in your own opinion? Well, this guy's probably just been waiting for Jesus to stop at a moment of his teaching, so that way he can interject something. He's like, uh, Jesus, yeah, my brother's being mean, and he won't give me the stuff that's rightfully mine. Now, this guy probably thinks he has a good basis. Otherwise, he wouldn't bring it up, especially in this type of conversation. I mean, this probably isn't the best type of environment to bring this up. You know, you're airing out your dirty laundry in front of everybody. He doesn't go to Jesus privately, which probably would have been hard considering the popularity of Jesus. But he doesn't go, Jesus, hey, uh, can I speak to you for a moment? In this big crowd, he's just like, Jesus, he's being mean. Tell him to give me all the stuff that's rightfully mine. And so he probably thinks he has a right standing to do this. And Jesus tells the crowd, basically, stay away from the constant desire of covetousness. That constant yearning of wanting more and more and more and never having enough. And Jesus makes one of the most amazing statements. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, your identity does not, is not defined by what you do or do not have. Your identity is not wrapped up in the year of the make of your car. It's not wrapped up in how much you make on your paycheck. It's not wrapped up And how big your house is, your identity is wrapped up in something much bigger than that. Your identity is wrapped up in something much more important. They say that U-Hauls never are tagged at the end of a hearse, right? We can never bring our stuff with us as much as sometimes we would like to. That aspect is not there. The only thing that we really have when we stand before the Father is how we treated His Son, whether we loved Him or hated Him, whether we were in Christ or outside of Christ. Jesus says to take care and be on your guard. This is proactive and not passive. Our lives are not defined by what we do or do not have. Now, the world would have you believe that. The world would have you believe that what really matters is who has the most toys in the end of their life, who has the bigger and the badder stuff. But Jesus has something all the much more greater for us. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul talks about being crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The funny thing is about Paul, he was previously on the other side of the fence, wasn't he? He was previously on the side of killing Christians, arresting them. And now he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but it's Jesus who lives in me. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 through 4, For you have died, 
and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, no doubt, many of us this holiday season will be surrounded by people who have founded their lives on all different kinds of foundations. They founded their lives on their money. They founded their lives on their job. They founded their lives on their social status. But really, in the end, that stuff is quicksand. And how well do houses stand when they're built on quicksand? Not very good, are they? They are brought to nothing. But us brothers and sisters have a sure foundation. When we built our lives upon Jesus Christ, our lives are built on something sure. And the longer we live our lives here on the earth, how much longer do we realize of how things really aren't certain in life? Right? We think we have have it all figured out and everything's going well and then something happens. The only thing that's really sure in this life is Jesus and his promises. That is the only thing that is true and sure and endures every form of test. People's lives that we will be surrounded by this Thanksgiving season, some of them at least, maybe, possibly, their lives are tossed to and fro, their life is a mess. But we have the hope of Jesus. We have the hope of something sure, something Rich. The parable that Jesus tells in the midst of this is an interesting parable. We'll read it quickly. In verse 16 of Luke chapter 12, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now, at first, upon reading that, you wonder to yourself, what's so wrong with that? Why is this parable given in the negative light? Well, it's the, it doesn't really hit you until the last statement that Jesus makes there. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So the problem with this man was that the fact that he was poor as dirt when it came to Jesus. When it came to God, he was poor. It wasn't the fact that he was rich in this life. It was the fact that he was rich in this life, but he was poor spiritually. So he went from coming into this life with having everything, and then he steps into eternity and has nothing. Because his relationship with God was terrible. But us who are in Christ have the great secret of contentment. Paul mentions that in Philippians chapter 4, where he says that he's learned in every situation to be content. 
He said that he learned the secret of being content. And it's the fact, Paul mentions in Philippians 4, in any and every circumstance I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's secret was his relationship with Jesus. Now the question is, for some of us, you ever hear a message or read something or hear something and it convicts our hearts, there's something that comes up within us that we're motivated to do something, but it only lasts for a little while and then it dies out. And then it takes another shot of something else to bring us back to that place to want to get us to do it again. I don't know, maybe I'm just speaking to myself of all. Like Most of all, I think that this message that I'm preaching goes to myself. But I've started so many different things of the new year. I started a Bible reading, and I'm like, I'm going to do it this year. It's going to be great. January, February, March, it starts getting a little rough around March. And then, you know, the fourth, fifth month, it's like, uh, I've, I've skipped a couple weeks. I'm going to try and catch up, just spend a day catching up. There's something that comes with inside of us that only lasts for a little while because it's the wrong motivation. And that little something is guilt. And for some of us, for some preachers, that is the biggest motivation that some of us give. We try to give shots of guilt. Guilt trip, guilt trip, guilt trip. Read your Bible more, pray more, go to church more, help people more. Guilt will only get you so far. Guilt is like a broken car. It will get you so far, but you don't want to go in the long distance with only guilt. Because you know that it will break down. I've had a car like that before. Anytime I ever want to go in long distance, I'm like, I'm going to go to St. Louis this week. I'm not taking my car. I'm going to borrow someone else's. Because I don't trust mine to drive in St. Louis. And guilt is like a broken down car. It will only get you so far. And then eventually you need another shot of guilt to get you to the next step. But there is something that does last. But sometimes the fire needs stoked. Love, gratitude, thanksgiving, contentment. Those things go the extra distance where guilt will not. Guilt does not go that far. Love does. Because guilt is situational. Guilt can get us, I could preach a message where we need to read our Bible more. It will make us all feel bad, you know, because that's the way some, some of us look. You know, some of us preachers feel as though, oh, I made them feel bad. That's the goal. And then we kind of feel bad about it. And then we get out and then we start eating lunch and then, our, our, you know, and then we forget about it. Guilt doesn't go that far. But love and gratitude does. Love and gratitude takes us those extra steps. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 12 and everything that he mentions prior to that, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the guilt of God. No, he says, by the mercies of God. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul wanted to motivate the people in spiritual worship by the mercy of God, by the fact that Jesus has done so much for us 
and we live in gratitude toward Him. Contentment is the key to living that extra distance, to going that extra mile, being content in the mercy of God. And that is the only thing that will root out discontentment within our own hearts. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have given us mercy unto mercy, everlasting unto everlasting, that you have promised good things to us in eternity for generations and generations. God, you never stopped being good to the children of Israel, even the fact that they shut their fist at you and you disciplined them, God. You draw them close unto yourself and they wanted to go far and far away and yet you didn't give up. You still had a remnant. You still had people that pass over onto the next generation. And Father, at times when we are discontent in our hearts and complaining, Father, you raise our hearts to show us that there is something all the more greater, something better. And that is contentment in your son. Contentment in his promises. It will take us an eternity just to try and grasp at the foothills of your love and your passion for the church. For you have promised to reveal to the world your great plan, the eternal purpose of God in the church. And we thank you for these things. And we pray that as we enter into this season, we pray that you help us to be filled with your hope, your promise, your true foundation. In the name of Jesus, amen. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.